Hello, welcome to the Friday, June 30th, 2017 edition of the Sands and Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich, and today I'm recording from Columbia, Maryland. Brad has an update about the Blank Slate malware campaign today. Blank Slate has been known to use email messages that don't really contain a body. Instead, they just typically contained a zipped JavaScript attachment that, of course, then led to malware, typically crypto ransomware. The subject lines were all over the place, kind of tempting the user to open the attachment. Well, this latest run of blank slate that Brad observed does deviate from this pattern. It now actually has a text in the email message. The text suggests that you just logged in to your Microsoft account. And if you didn't do so, you should click on a link to let them know that you didn't log in to your account. Interestingly, they do list an IP address as part of of the email message. That IP address is not a valid IP address. As you can see in the email that Brad posted, the first byte, for example, of the IP address is something around 400. Now, this will, of course, not prevent your average user from clicking on the link, downloading a zip file, and then opening it and potentially running the JavaScript, which then, of course, again, leads to crypto ransomware. The domains being used are, again, using the .top generic top-level domain. And I don't think I've ever seen a valid site that actually used the .top generic top-level domain. As usual, Pratt does provide a number of indicators of compromise, traffic captures, and all the good stuff that helps you analyze this particular attack and protect yourself. And Microsoft released a critical patch for Azure Active Directory Connect. Now, this tool allows you to keep your cloud and on-premise passwords for, for example, for Office 365 in sync using something called Password Writeback. And you're vulnerable if you are enabling this Password Writeback feature. Essentially, what's happening here is if you update your password in the cloud, uh, that password is being sent back to your active directory in order to update your on-premise password. Now, the problem here was that an administrator could abuse this feature in order to send passwords back to the on-premise active directory server at the administrator's choosing for various users. So it's really more a privilege escalation flaw. It's not that someone could just overwrite random passwords. It has to be someone with access to your Acer active directory configuration order to send these passwords back to your active directory. And this has has been fixed now. So update Active Directory Connect. Overall, of course, this feature sounds somewhat dangerous, uh, but hopefully this was just one vulnerability that has now been addressed.
And I think it was a couple of weeks ago that I talked about Stack Clash. Stack Clash was this purge escalation vulnerability that affected a wide range of different Unix-based operating systems. Essentially, what happened here was that the stack could overwrite some parts of the heap, which then, of course, leads different processes to overwrite their respective memory. Now, Qualys released a number of exploits for this vulnerability so hopefully you got it all patched and don't have to worry about this now on monday i think it was i asked about uh, who will be listening to this podcast next week giving the 4th of July holiday. Well, a number of readers stated that they're not in the US and, uh, well, they don't have any days off. I hope you still will have a somewhat quiet week uh, next week. I'll probably do at least two podcasts last week. Uh, we'll see how it goes, um, counting sort of on Wednesday and uh, Thursday, but I'll make that a little bit dependent on how much actual new security updates we have to share. Okay, it's Friday again, and as the last few Fridays, I have with me in the SANS STI student. Today, it's uh, Paul Hirschberger. Uh, Paul, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Johannes. I'm uh, Paul Hirschberger. I uh, am actually responsible for information security at a company called The Mosaic Company. We are a global producer of fertilizer. We have operations in eight different countries, and I'm uh, excited to talk with you today about uh, some of the research I've been doing as part of my experience in the SANS Technology Institute. So uh, your research was about risk, and risk is, of course, a very large topic, as I usually introduce it. Uh, when I teach a class, in particular when I teach, for example, the web development class, you can never prevent all possible breaches, but uh, one of the really important uh, f functions, I think, of a good security team is to, to advise the business as to what risk they're taking when they're doing uh, anything, more or less. So uh, you look at different methodologies here. One is the RAND Institute and the other one, the Ponymon Institute, and you compare them to actual breaches. Uh, can you just, uh, first of all, start out with by summarizing these two approaches to, to risk? Sure. And, you know, I agree with you. Risk risk is often a very difficult thing to kind of quantify and, and for companies to wrap their head around. And when it comes to data breaches, you know, for the longest time, the Ponymon uh, Institute has stood as the, um, the example of how to measure the potential impacts of a data breach. And the Ponymon research, it focuses on a cost per record that has been breached. So if you um, if you have a thousand records that are breached, then you just simply do straight math, and you know you get a dollar amount per times that one thousand, and you come up with your uh, potential impact. Now, late in 2016, uh, the Rand Institute published some research that took a different approach to it. Uh, and, and really when the RAND model, what it boiled down to was you can measure and estimate your potential impact of a breach based upon your uh, annual revenue. And their percentage came out to be 0.4% of annual revenue as your potential exposure for a data breach. 
Now, uh, that's sort of interesting because uh, why is it so constant? You would think uh, that uh, how many records you leak uh, is related to the impact of the breach. Uh, do you have any ideas why they came up with this uh, 0.4% and why it doesn't scale, whether you lose like a thousand records or a million records? I will say the RAND study, it actually encompassed a very large data set of actual breaches. Uh, and they were actually digging into the actual costs, whereas the Ponymon uh, research, they always work off of surveys. And you know, one of the things that's very interesting about Ponymon and one of the key pieces that people often overlook is the fact that you know even in their research they're very explicit about the fact that their their model is designed for breaches that are less than a thousand records so you're really talking about small breaches they they they're not intended to be to focus on or be able to scale to the size of a massive mega breach so the rand institute they again they they looked at the actual data across a very large population of breaches. But when I think about it a little bit, there's two variables that that make sense. One is the size of the organization and naturally the size of the data that they would actually hold. So you have more of just the, the initial cost from the, uh, the records being lost themselves, but their environments are also more complex. So with complexity becomes more cost in actually remediating what led to the breach. So with Rand Institute uh, really more looking sort of as at publicized breaches, they're really sort of more looking at the large mega breaches that actually make the news while the Ponymon Institute, on the other hand, uh, with the survey method, really is more looking at the smaller breaches. Is this one way to look at it, that for small breaches, yes, you know, there is sort of a, a scale with number of records uh, lost, but once you hit sort of that 0.4% of revenue, it doesn't really get any worse than that? Uh, it, it's it's really kind of interesting, because even when you look at the 0.4% of revenue, and, and I looked at a series of breaches. Now, uh, one of the hard things is actually getting reliable cost data because a lot of companies really don't publicize you know, what their impacts were. So what I did find was even within the data sets that I used, the 0.4% stayed pretty close to accurate based upon the different sizes. And, you know, I, I I looked at some of the mega breaches along with some that were much smaller as well. And and even with that, the 0.4% stayed pretty consistent. Now that's really interesting. And I think there are always sort of two components to the cost of a breach. Now, the one I usually call of the direct cost, which means you, know, you have to notify people, uh, the incident response cost, uh, you have to set up credit reporting and all of that stuff uh, for them. But then there's sort of a little bit the more difficult to quantify one, I think, and that's you know loss of reputation. Uh, do you find that that got taken into account here or was it really more about the direct cost? The actual cost that I was able to attribute directly to the breaches, they were more about direct cost. Now, a lot, of, a lot of discussion goes into what truly is the indirect cost. And from my research, I didn't come to a very clear conclusion. But the conclusion I did come to is I could not see any indication that there were 
substantial indirect costs. And part of what I did for this research is I, I tracked stock price and annual revenue, and I compared it to uh, peers. So one of the one of the organizations and one of the breaches that I that I did analysis on was the Target breach, uh, and, and frankly, they were one of the very first forthcoming and, and very open about uh, communicating their costs. So it was a great breach to actually do research on. And when I looked at their stock trends and even their sales revenue, I compared them to Walmart being their chief competitor. The trending stayed similar. Now, there was one quarter where, where Target took a hit, and when I look at the timing of where their stock price truly took a hit, it was timed to correspond with actually an earnings release where they missed earnings, which then they had a, a short dip in their stock price, but they recovered very quickly. And, and even once they recovered, they stayed on a very similar trend with both the retail sector and Walmart as a comparative. So if any impact, it was short time. And if I remember correctly, Target was sort of a worst case anyway, because it's just hit during the holiday quarter, which was sort of their, their big quarter. Um, yeah, yeah I, I had actually looked at this a little bit recently with the Chipotle breach. Someone was asking, you know, what to expect there. And uh, as you pointed out, there's actually some fairly contradicting evidence there. Uh, the What I find the more direct evidence that you said stock price and revenue actually doesn't dip much, if anything, uh, after a breach. Uh, but then all surveys actually show that customers say they will never shop again. Uh, I guess it's just a matter of, you know, if you go into the store, you still like stuff, you'll still buy there no matter whether or not your credit card number or whatever uh, was stolen there uh, the quarter before. I have to agree with that, and you know it's very interesting because you know we are we we are creatures of habit and and we are creatures of convenience. When you think about uh, how individuals are typically impacted by a credit card breach, the bank issues a new card, whoever's responsible pays the bank, so there's very little impact to the individuals, uh, and since we don't feel any direct impact, we're very quick to go back to those brands and those stores and, and those locations. So customer yeah, loyalty really over overwhelms uh, the impacts. Yeah, I think that's, that's a real good point here. Now, uh, what's next here for you? Uh, any research project you're working on right now or anything else uh, that uh, you're doing right now? Well, right at this right at this moment, uh, there is nothing that I'm work. No other research projects that I'm working on. I actually just wrapped up all of the requirements for um, the STI program. Uh, so I'm stepping back, taking a breather, uh, and looking for what is the next really big thing for me. So ready to graduate in July, I think it is, sir. Yes, I am. Okay. Well. Uh congratulations then and uh, thanks uh, for joining me here on this podcast so thanks everybody for listening and talk to you again on wednesday bye